0: Section 3. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. Section 3. Selections from Two Years Before the Mast by Richard Henry Dana, Jr richard henry dana jr eighteen fifteen the literary fame of richard henry dana the younger rests on a single book produced at the age of twenty-five two years before the mast stands unique in english literature it reports a man's actual experiences at sea yet touches the facts with a fine imagination it is a bit of dana's own life while on a vacation away from college the manner in which he got his material was remarkable But to the literature he came as by birthright through his father richard henry dana the elder then a well-known poet novelist and essayist he was born in cambridge in eighteen fifteen growing up in the intellectual atmosphere of that university town and in due course of time entering harvard college where his father and grandfather before him had been trained in law and letters an attack of the measles during his third year at college left him with weakened eyes And an active outdoor life was prescribed as the only remedy from boyhood up he had been passionately fond of the sea small wonder then that he now determined to take a long sea voyage refusing a berth offered to him on a vessel bound for the east indies he chose to go as a common sailor before the mast on a merchantman starting on a two years trading voyage around cape horn to california at that time boys of good family from the new england coast towns often took such trips dana indeed found a companion in a former merchant's clerk of boston they left on august fourteenth eighteen thirty four doubled cape horn spent many months in the waters of the pacific and on the coast of california trading with the natives and taking in cargoes of hides and returned to boston in september eighteen thirty six young dana entirely cured of his weakness re-entered college graduated the next year and then went to study in the law school of harvard during his cruise he had kept a journal which he now worked over into the narrative that made him famous and that bids fair to keep his name alive as long as boys young or old delight in sea-stories it is really not a story at all but describes with much vivacity the whole history of a long trading voyage the commonplace life of the sailor with its many hardships including the savage brutality of captains with no restraint on passion or manners and scant recreations the sea in storm and calm, and the California coast before the gold fever, when but few Europeans were settled there, and hides, were the chief export of a region whose riches still lay secreted under the earth. The great charm of the narrative lies in its simplicity and its frank statement of facts. Dana apparently did not invent anything, but depicted real men, men he had intimately known for two years, calling them even by their own names and giving an unvarnished account of what they did and said he never hung back from work or shirked his duty but roughed it to the very end as a result of these experiences this book is the only one that gives any true idea of the sailor's life sea stories generally depend for their interest on the inventive skill of their authors dana knew how to hold the attention by a simple statement of facts the book has all the charm and spontaneity of a keenly observant yet imaginative and cultivated mind alive to all the aspects of the outer world and gifted with that fine literary instinct which knowing the value of words expresses its thoughts with precision seafaring men have commented on his exactness in reproducing the sailors phraseology the book was published in eighteen forty translated into several languages and adopted by the british admiralty for distribution in the navy few sailors are without a copy in their chest The Seaman's Friend, which Dana published in the following year, was inspired by his indignation at the abuses he had witnessed in the Merchant Marine. Dana did not follow up his first success, and his life henceforth belongs to the history of the bar and politics of Massachusetts rather than to literature. The fame of his book brought to his law office many admiralty cases. In 1848 he was one of the founders of the Free Soil Party, later he became an active abolitionist and took a large part in the local politics of his state. For a year he lectured on international law in Harvard College. He contributed to the North American Review and wrote besides on various legal topics. His one other book on travel, To Cuba and Back, A Vacation Voyage, the fruit of a trip to that island in 1859, though well written, never became popular. He retired from his profession in 1877 and spent the last years of his life in paris and italy he died in rome january sixth eighteen eighty-two. First selection a dry gale we had been below but a short time before we had the usual premonitions of a coming gale seas washing over the whole forward part of the vessel and her bows beating against them with a force and sound like the driving of piles the watch too seemed very busy trampling about the decks and singing out at the ropes a sailor can tell by the sound what sail is coming in and in a short time we heard the top gallant sails come in one after another and then the flying jib this seemed to ease her a good deal and we were fast going off to the land of nod when bang 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 on the scuttle and all hands reef topsails ahoy started us out of our berths and it not being very cold weather we had nothing extra to put on and were soon on deck I shall never forget the fineness of the sight it was a clear and rather a chilly night the stars were twinkling with an intense brightness and as far as the eye could reach there was not a cloud to be seen the horizon met the sea in a defined line a painter could not have painted so clear a sky there was not a speck upon it yet it was blowing great guns from the northwest when you can see a cloud to windward you feel there is a place for the wind to come from but here it seemed to come from nowhere no person could have told from the heavens by their eyesight alone that it was not a still summer's night one reef after another we took in the topsails and before we could get them hoisted up we heard a sound like a short quick rattling of thunder and the jib was blown to atoms out of the bolt rope we got the topsails set and the fragments of the jib stowed away and the four topmast staysails set in its place when the great mainsail gaped open and the sail ripped from head to foot lay up on that menyard and furl the sail before it blows to tatters shouted the captain and in a moment we were up gathering the remains of it upon the yard we got it wrapped round the yard and passed the gaskets over it as snugly as possible and were just on deck again when with another loud rent, which was heard throughout the ship the fore topsail, which had been double reefed, split in two athwartships, just below the reef band, from earring to earring. Here again it was down yard, haul out reef tackles, and lay out upon the yard for reefing. By hauling the reef tackles chock a block, we took the strain from the other earrings, and passing the close reef earring and knotting the points carefully, we succeeded in setting the sail close reefed. We had but just got the rigging coiled up, and were waiting to hear, Go below the watch. When the main royal worked loose from the gaskets and blew directly out to leeward, flapping and shaking the mast like a wand. Here was a job for somebody. The royal must come in or be cut adrift, or the mast would be snapped short off. All the light hands in the starboard watch were sent up one after another, but they could do nothing with it. At length John, the tall Frenchman, the head of the starboard watch, and a better sailor never stepped upon a deck, sprang aloft. And by the help of his long arms and legs succeeded after a hard struggle the sail blowing over the yard-arm to leeward and the skysail adrift directly over his head in smothering it and frapping it with long pieces of sinnet he came very near being blown or shaken from the yard several times but he was a true sailor every finger a fish-hook having made the sail snug he prepared to send the yard down which was a long and difficult job for frequently he was obliged to stop and hold on with all his might for several minutes, the ship pitching so as to make it impossible to do anything else at that height. The yard at length came down safe, and after it the fore and mizzen royal yards were sent down. All hands were then sent aloft, and for an hour or two we were hard at work, making the booms well fast, unreeving the studding-sail and royal and skysail gear, getting rolling ropes on the yard, setting up the weather breast backstays and making other preparations for a storm it was a fine night for a gale just cool and bracing enough for quick work without being cold and as bright as day it was sport to have a gale in such weather as this yet it blew like a hurricane the wind seemed to come with a spite an edge to it which threatened to scrape us off the yards the force of the wind was greater than i had ever felt it before but darkness cold and wet are the worst parts of a storm to a sailor having got on deck again we looked round to see what time of night it was and whose watch in a few minutes the man at the wheel struck four bells and we found that the other watch was out and our own half out accordingly the starboard watch went below and left the ship to us for a couple of hours yet with orders to stand by for a call hardly had they got below before away went the foretop-mast staysail blown to ribbons This was a small sail which we could manage in the watch so that we were not obliged to call up the other watch we laid upon the bowsprit where we were under water half the time and took in the fragments of the sail and as she must have had some headsail on her prepared to bend another staysail we got the new one out into the nettings seized on the tack sheets and halyards and the hanks manned the halyards cut adrift the frapping lines and hoisted away but before it was halfway up the stay It was blown all to pieces when we belayed the halyards there was nothing left but the bolt rope now large eyes began to show themselves in the foresail and knowing that it must soon go the mate ordered us upon the yard to furl it being unwilling to call up the watch who had been on deck all night he roused out the carpenter sailmaker cook and steward and with their help we manned the foreyard and after nearly half an hour's struggle mastered the sail and got it well furled round the yard The force of the wind had never been greater than at this moment. In going up the rigging it seemed absolutely to pin us down to the shrouds, and on the yard there was no such thing as turning a face to windward. Yet there was no driving sleet and darkness and wet and cold as off Cape Horn, and instead of stiff oilcloth suits, sou'wester caps, and thick boots, we had on hats, round jackets, duck trousers, light shoes, and everything light and easy." these things make a great difference to a sailor when we got on deck the man at the wheel struck eight bells four o'clock in the morning and all star bow lines ahoy brought the other watch up but there was no going below for us the gale was now at its height blowing like scissors and thumbscrews the captain was on deck the ship which was light rolling and pitching as though she would shake the long sticks out of her and the sails were gaping open and splitting in every direction the mizzen topsail, which was a comparatively new sail and close reefed, split from head to foot in the bunt. The fore topsail went in one rent from clew to carrying, and was blowing to tatters. One of the chain bobstays parted. The sprit sail yards sprung in the slings, the martingale had slewed away off to leeward, and owing to the long dry weather, the lee rigging hung in large bites at every lurch. One of the main top gallant shrouds had parted, and, to crown all, the galley had got adrift and gone over to leeward, and the anchor on the lee-bow had worked loose and was thumping the side. Here was work enough for all hands for half a day. Our gang laid on the mizzen-top yard and after more than half an hour's hard work furled the sail, though it bellied out over our heads, and again, by a slat of the wind, blew in under the yard with a fearful jerk and almost threw us off from the foot-ropes. Double gaskets were passed round the yards, Rolling tackles and other gear bowed taut, and everything made as secure as it could be. Coming down, we found the rest of the crew just coming down the fore-rigging, having furled the tattered topsail, or rather, swathed it round the yard, which looked like a broken limb bandaged. There was no sail now on the ship, but the spanker and the close-reefed main topsail, which still held good. But this was too much after-sail, and order was given to furl the spanker. The brails were hauled up, and all the light hands in the starboard watch sent out on the gaff to pass the gaskets but they could do nothing with it the second mate swore at them for a parcel of soggers and sent up a couple of the best men but they could do no better and the gaff was lowered down all hands were now employed in setting up the lee rigging fishing the spiritsel yard lashing the galley and getting tackles upon the martingale to bows it to windward being in the larboard watch my duty was forward to assist in setting up the martingale. Three of us were out on the martingale guys and back-ropes for more than half an hour, carrying out, hooking, and unhooking the tackles, several times buried in the seas, until the mate ordered us in from fear of our being washed off. The anchors were then to be taken up on the rail, which kept all hands on the forecastle for an hour, though every now and then the seas broke over it, washing the rigging off to leeward, filling the lee scuppers breast-high, and washing chalk aft to the top rail having got everything secure again we were promising ourselves some breakfast for it was now nearly nine o'clock in the forenoon when the main topsail showed evident signs of giving way some sail must be kept on the ship and the captain ordered the fore and aft main spencer gaffs to be lowered down and the two spencers which were storm sails brand new small and made of the strongest canvas to be got up and bent leaving the main topsail to blow away with a blessing on it if it would only last until we could set the Spencers. These we bent on very carefully, with strong robins and seizings, and making tackles fast to the clues, bows them down to the waterways. By this time the main topsail was among the things that have been. And we went aloft to stow away the remnant of the last sail of all those which were on the ship twenty-four hours before. The Spencers were now the only whole sails on the ship. And being strong and small and near the deck presenting but little surface to the wind above the rail promised to hold out well hove to under these and eased by having no sail above the tops the ship rose and fell and drifted off to leeward like a line-of-battle ship it was now eleven o'clock and the watch was sent below to get breakfast and at eight bells noon as everything was snug although the gale had not in the least abated the watch was set and the other watch and idlers sent below for three days and three nights the gale continued with unabated fury and with singular regularity there were no lulls and very little variation in its fierceness our ship being light rolled so as almost to send the fore yard arm under water and drifted off bodily to leeward all this time there was not a cloud to be seen in the sky day or night no not so large as a man's hand every morning the sun rose cloudless from the sea and set again at night in the sea in a flood of light the stars too came out of the blue one after another night after night unobscured and twinkled as clear as on a still frosty night at home until the day came upon them all this time the sea was rolling in immense surges white with foam as far as the eye could reach on every side for we were now leagues and leagues from shore second selection from two years before the mast by richard henry dana jr every day sea life the sole object was to make the time pass on any change was sought for which would break the monotony of the time and even the two hours trick at the wheel which came round to us in turn once in every other watch was looked upon as a relief the never-failing resource of long yarns which eke out many a watch seemed to have failed us now for we had been out so long together that we had heard each other's stories told over and over again till we had them by heart each one knew the whole history of each of the others and we were fairly and literally talked out singing and joking we were no humour for and in fact any sound of mirth or laughter would have struck strangely upon our ears and would not have been tolerated any more than whistling or a wind instrument the last resort That of speculating upon the future seemed now to fail us. For our discouraging situation and the danger we were really in, as we expected every day to find ourselves drifted back among the ice, clapped a stopper upon all that. From saying when we get home, we began insensibly to alter it if we get home, and at last the subject was dropped by tacit consent. In this state of things, a new light was struck out and a new field opened by a change in the watch one of our watch was laid up for two or three days by a bad hand for in cold weather the least cut or bruise ripens into a sore and his place was supplied by the carpenter this was a windfall and there was a contest who should have the carpenter to walk with him as chips was a man of some little education and he and i had a good deal of intercourse with each other he fell in with me in my walk he was a fin but spoke english well and gave me long accounts of his country the customs the trade the towns what little he knew of the government i found he was no friend of russia his voyages his first arrival in america his marriage and courtship he had married a countrywoman of his a dressmaker whom he met with in boston i had very little to tell him of my quiet sedentary life at home and in spite of our best efforts which had protracted these yarns through five or six watches we fairly well talked each other out and i turned him over to another man in the watch and put myself upon my own resources i commenced a deliberate system of time-killing which united some profit with a cheering up of the heavy hours as soon as i came on deck and took my regular place and regular walk i began with repeating over to myself in regular order a string of matters which i had in my memory the multiplication table, and the table of weights and measures, the Kanaka numerals, then the states of the Union with their capitals, the counties of England with their shire towns, and the kings of England in their order, and other things. This carried me through my facts, and being repeated deliberately, with long intervals, often eked out the first two bells. Then came the Ten Commandments, the thirty-ninth chapter of Job, and a few other passages from Scripture. The next in the order, which I seldom varied from, came Cowper's Castaway, which was a great favourite with me, its solemn measure and gloomy character, as well as the incident it was founded upon, making it well suited to a lonely watch at sea. Then his Lines to Mary, his Address to the Jackdaw, and a short extract from Table Talk. I abounded in Cowper, for I happened to have a volume of his poems in my chest. Ille nefasto from horace and goethe's eralkernig after i had got through these i allowed myself a more general range among everything that i could remember both in prose and verse in this way with an occasional break by relieving the wheel heaving the log and going to the scuttlebutt for a drink of water the longest watch was passed away and i was so regular in my silent recitations that if there was no interruption by ship's duty i could tell very nearly the number of bells by my progress our watches below were no more varied than the watch on deck all washing sewing and reading was given up and we did nothing but eat sleep and stand our watch leading what might be called a cape horn life the forecastle was too uncomfortable to sit up in and whenever we were below we were in our berths to prevent the rain and sea water which broke over the bows from washing down we were obliged to keep the scuttle closed so that the forcicle was nearly air tight In this little wet, leaky hole we were all quartered, in an atmosphere so bad that our lamp, which swung in the middle from the beams, sometimes actually burned blue, with a large circle of foul air about it. Still, I was never in better health than after three weeks of this life. I gained a great deal of flesh, and we all ate like horses. At every watch when we came below, before turning in, the bread barge and beef kid were overhauled each man drank his quart of hot tea night and morning and glad enough we were to get it for no nectar and ambrosia were sweeter to the lazy immortals than was a pot of hot tea a hard biscuit and a slice of cold-salt beef to us after a watch on deck to be sure we were mere animals and had this life lasted a year instead of a month we should have been little better than the ropes in the ship not a razor nor a brush nor a drop of water except the rain and the spray had come near us all the time for we were on an allowance of fresh water and who would strip and wash himself in salt water on deck in the snow and ice with a thermometer at zero? Third selection from two years before the mast by richard henry dana jr a start and parting company the california had finished discharging her cargo and was to get under way at the same time with us having washed down decks and got breakfast The two vessels lay side by side in complete readiness for sea, our ensigns hanging from the peaks and our tall spars reflected from the glassy surface of the river, which since sunrise had been unbroken by a ripple. At length a few whiffs came across the water, and by eleven o'clock the regular northwest wind set steadily in. There was no need of calling all hands, for we had all been hanging about the forecastle the whole forenoon and were ready for a start upon the first sign of a breeze. Often we turned our eyes aft upon the captain, who was walking on deck, with every now and then a look to windward. He made a sign to the mate, who came forward, took his station deliberately between the night-heads, cast a glance aloft, and called out, "'All hands, lay aloft and loose the sails!' We were half in the rigging before the order came, and never since we left Boston were the gaskets off the yards and the rigging overhauled in a shorter time. "'All ready forward, sir!' all ready the main cross yards all ready sir lay down all hands but one on each yard the yard arm and bunt caskets were cast off and each sail hung by the jigger with one man standing by the tie to let it go at the same moment that we sprang aloft a dozen hands sprang into the rigging of the california and in an instant were all over her yards and her sails too were ready to be dropped at the word in the meantime our bow gun had been loaded and run out and its discharge was to be the signal for dropping the sails a cloud of smoke came out of our bows the echoes of the gun rattled our farewell among the hills of california and the two ships were covered from head to foot with their white canvas for a few minutes all was uproar and apparent confusion men jumping about like monkeys in the rigging ropes and blocks flying orders given and answered amid the confused noises of men singing out at the ropes the topsails came to the mastheads with cheerly, men, and in a few minutes every sail was set, for the wind was light. The head sails were backed, the windlass had come round. Slip, slap, to the cry of the sailors. Hove short, sir, said the mate. Up with him. Aye, aye, sir. A few hearty and long heaves, and the anchor showed its head. Hook, cat. The fall was stretched along the decks. All hands laid hold. Hurrah, for the last time, said the mate and the anchor came to the cathead to the tune of, "'Time for us to go!' with a rollicking chorus. Everything was done quick, as though it was for the last time. The headyards were filled away, and our ship began to move through the water on her homeward-bound course. The California had got under way at the same moment, and we sailed down the narrow bay abreast, and were just off the mouth and, gradually drawing ahead of her, were on the point of giving her three parting cheers, when suddenly we found ourselves stopped short, and the California ranging fast ahead of us. A bar stretches across the mouth of the harbour, with water enough to float common vessels, but being low in the water and having kept well to leeward, as we were bound to the southward, we had stuck fast, while the California, being light, had floated over. We kept all sail on in the hope of forcing over, but failing this we hove back into the channel. This was something of a damper to us, "'and the captain looked not a little mortified and vexed. "'This is the same place where the Rosa got ashore, sir,' "'observed our red-headed second mate, Most Malapro. "'A malediction on the Rosa and him, too, was all the answer he got, "'and he slunk off to leeward. "'In a few minutes the force of the wind and the rising of the tide "'backed us into the stream, and we were on our way to our old anchoring-place, "'the tide setting swiftly up and the ship barely manageable in the light breeze.' we came to in our old berth opposite the hyde house whose inmates were not a little surprised to see us return we felt as though we were tied to california and some of our crew swore that they should never get clear of the bloody coast in about half an hour which was near high water the order was given to man the windlass and again the anchor was catted but there was no song and not a word was said about the last time the california had come back on finding that we had returned and was hove-to, waiting for us, off the point. This time we passed the bar safely, and were soon up with the California, who filled away and kept us company. She seemed desirous of a trial of speed, and our captain accepted the challenge, although we were loaded down to the bolts of our chain-plates, as deep as a sand-barge, and bound so taut with our cargo that we were no more fit for a race than a man in fetters, while our antagonist was in her best trim being clear of the point the breeze became stiff and the royal masts bent under our sails but we would not take them in until we saw three boys spring aloft into the rigging of the california when they were all furled at once but with orders to our boys to stay aloft in the top-gallant mastheads and loose them again at the word it was my duty to furl the four royal and while standing by to loose it again i had a fine view of the scene From where i stood the two vessels seemed nothing but spars and sails while their narrow decks far below slanting over by the force of the wind aloft appeared hardly capable of supporting the great fabrics raised upon them the california was to windward of us and had every advantage yet while the breeze was stiff we held our own as soon as it began to slacken she ranged a little ahead and the order was given to loose the royals in an instant the gaskets were off and the bunt dropped sheet home the fore royal weather sheets home lee sheets home hoist away sir is bawled from aloft overhaul your clue lines shouts mate aye aye sir all clear tot leech belay well the lee brace haul tot to the windward and the royals were set these brought us up again but the wind continuing light the california set hers and it was soon evident that she was walking away from us our captain then hailed and said he should keep off to his course adding she isn't the alert now if i had her in your trim she would have been out of sight by this time this was good-naturedly answered from the california and she braced sharp up and stood close upon the wind up the coast while we squared away our yards and stood before the wind to the south-southwest the california's crew manned her weather-rigging waved their hats in the air and gave us three hearty cheers which we answered as heartily And the customary single cheer came back to us from over the water. She stood on her way, doomed to eighteen months or two years' hard service upon that hated coast, while we were making our way home, to which every hour and every mile was bringing us nearer. End of section three. Recording by Olivia.